Hey guys, what's up? And welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. I am joined tonight by Ryan and Tyler, but also Jack Frazier. You may know him on Twitter as JFreshHockey. Jack, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Not too bad. Lucas Raymond made the opening night roster. We are pumped. Woo! We will be. I, I had to get that out of me. We will be at the home opener to see Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider's first game. So we are all very excited. Unless it's some really fucked up joke and Jeff Blash is like, ah, he's not on the roster. No, I'm just kidding. It's just for, <laughs> it's just for the paper transactions. Uh, but no, we are we're we're real pumped and we're really excited to get hockey started here. At least starting tomorrow. We won't play till the 14th, but the season starts tomorrow. Tyler, how many days do we have? Uh, we have precisely three days or two days and a couple hours. I'll go with it. it was, I was looking for one day plus two days, but you, you can, you can, yeah, one, one day joke. plus two. <laughs> All right, whatever. So, so if you guys don't know, Jack has some really cool stuff online uh, where he makes stats easy to kind of ingest for people that don't really follow a lot of it. Don't have the time to try to understand it. So we wanted to have him on to kind of go through his player cards, how his, his stuff is kind of calculated and kind of, Give us what, what he thinks are some of the more important stats to him and, and ones that he think are really telling. Um, so, Jack, if you want to start with, I guess, just how you came up with the player cards and kind of what goes into them. Sure. So, you know, I'm I'm a hockey fan first and a stats guy second. You know, my my high school report card, you know, my math grade probably looked a lot like most of my followers and not like <laughs> most of the other analytics guys. Uh, so fundamentally, like my perspective on all this analytics stuff is that it's super interesting and I think really helps kind of develop your understanding of the game and players and teams. Uh, but all the jargon is just kind of a huge pain in the ass to really wrap your head around. Uh, and, and I think it does alienate a lot of people because it really does kind of look like math homework as opposed to, you know, actually, actually yeah. being a hockey fan. So, you know, my, my goal with it, you know, I didn't really like, it wasn't some big entrepreneurial venture or something. It really was kind of just something I put together for my own sake because, you know, the Penguins would trade for a guy, you know, a Penguins fan. And uh, I had no idea, you know, I'd seen him play once or twice or something. I'd really had no idea what was going on with him. And, you know, even as somebody who kind of, you know, mostly understood, you know, analytics and stuff, you'd have to kind of hop from website to website trying to get some sense of them. You could never really, you know, figure out what the actual deal was. Maybe a beat reporter would say a blurb or two about him. Uh, and I really just kind of, for my own use, wanted to have, you know, everything kind of in one place so I could see it and then figure out who the hell Jim Rutherford had just traded for. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I kind of did that on Lark and then I shared it on Twitter. And, you know, that was kind of right before the pandemic hit. Uh, you know, it, it blew up a little bit. And uh, I think just kind of through the pandemic, I had extra time to just, you know, focus on doing it a little bit more. You know, I started writing these kind of deep breakdowns of players, you know, instances where I thought maybe the stats didn't tell a complete story or maybe the reputation didn't tell a complete story and try to bring those together. And uh, ultimately that kind of led me to uh, where I am now writing for Elite Prospects uh, as the the person, uh, probably the least knowledgeable about prospects person who's ever worked for Elite Prospects before. So, uh, I can hang my hat on that. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I initially asked. I'm like, can we talk about prospects? You're like, yeah, probably not. Um, 
But no, yeah, that's, I found kind of a similar thing when starting to go through advanced stats is you had to pull up something like a hockey reference, find a term, go to another website to actually figure out what that term meant, go back and try and do some calculations. And it just, for the average fan, it's way too much work. No one wants to do that much work. They want to watch hockey. They, they want to know the information but they don't want to spend all that time trying to figure it out. Right. Like, especially if it's like Patrick Nemeth, like nobody wants yeah. to spend a whole afternoon trying to figure out who Patrick Nemeth is. No, you, you look and you go, yeah, he's a good defensive guy. And here's some numbers that he does, but I don't really care about what all those are. So maybe your maybe your higher guys, your top six guys, you might be a little bit more invested in, but if you're going in and getting a bottom pairing defenseman or you're getting a bottom six guy, who's going to spend all the time finding out all that information. Exactly. But, you know, but I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, you're, you're inevitably going to spend, you know, hours of your life complaining about him. So you might as well <laughs> figure out who he is going in. So sounds like Jonathan Erickson. Oh God. Yeah. Just a picture of a pylon when you look up any kind of information. But the only reason I even thought to brought him up today is because he was mentioned in conversation and it just kind of upset God. me. Yeah. I, I died upsetting. a little bit inside. Yeah. That um, word just upsets me. Jonathan Erickson. <laughs> I guess just for the people at home and the people listening uh, on their whatever network they're listening on, I guess just what what stats do you like to kind of focus on to do your player evaluations? Because you do these player cards, you get your war percentage. So I think war is probably a good place to start, um, but you got a lot of other numbers that go into it too. Yeah, so war is kind of what this stuff centers around. And I think that war has become a little bit of a dirty word in a lot of circles uh, that are maybe a little, they know something about analytics, but they're they're very skeptical of it. Uh, because, you know, on its face, the thing that war tries to do is, you know, preposterous. Like it tries to, you know, take a player's value and translate it into a number of wins that they are contributing individually to their team uh, compared to like a league minimum, you know, 13 forward kind of player. Uh, and, you know, the way that it does that is by essentially kind of narrowing down the things that a player does into the most kind of basic categories of, you know, what hockey is. So that would be, you know, what is their impact on their team getting dangerous scoring chances when they're on the ice? What is their impact on their team preventing dangerous scoring chances when they're on the ice? Uh, what is the level that they can finish the scoring chances that they do get compared to an average player? Uh, how do they play on the power play uh, in terms of creating goals and dangerous chances? How do they do on a penalty kill in terms of preventing them? And uh, are they putting their team in the penalty box uh, or are they drawing more penalties? You know, those are all kind of the different ways that from a fundamental perspective, a player contributes to his team winning a league. And so the point of wins above replacement is to essentially kind of use the data that we have access to, which is, you know, what, which players are on the ice uh, for what, uh, who they're playing with at all times, what, you know, what their shifts are, who are they playing against, you know, what situations are they playing in, uh, are shots being taken for them or for the other team when they're on the ice and, and how dangerous are their shots. And by kind of creating, you know, these, these, models using what's called ridge regression, you basically try to create kind of an estimate of how that player influences individually kind of all of those different factors. And the result of that is wins above replacement. You know, it's a, it's a number of wins added compared to a replacement level player. 
which is ultimately, you know, it's an estimate, you know, it's, yeah. it's not supposed to be, you know, if you ask me for the 30 best players in the league, I'm not going to list you the top 30 players in the league by wins above replacement. You know, I have written thousands of words kind of disagreeing with certain players' assessments or saying why I think some of them might be misleading. Uh, it really is kind of a jumping off point that hopefully leads to a more nuanced and, you know, substantive analysis of a player than maybe necessarily saying, oh, well, this guy is 71% and this guy is yeah. 70%. So player one is obviously better than the other guy. Yeah, I think you can even take a bigger gap than that. And I think that is is part of why we're bringing context to the charts, because I think you may have touched a nerve on some people in the Red Wings fan base um, recently. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> Um, and, and it's, and you can yell at a lot of people as much as you want until you're blue in the face with, uh, trying to explain yourself and they'll be like, but your chart show low number. And it's, it's not the whole thing. And like for, so, and, and we had talked about it a little bit offline and you may have brought it up before, but again, so Philip Zadina, whose war percentage currently on the chart sits at 5%. That's a three-year weighted average. He doesn't have a lot of experience. Philip Zadina has not had a full NHL season yet. No, no, he he certainly doesn't. He has he hasn't really played a lot of minutes when he has played. I think for for a good chunk of that time, uh, I think that that's a, a perfect example of where the point of wins above replacement isn't to model a player's talent or their ability or definitely not their potential. Yeah, uh, but I, I think their you know their performance, what what ultimately has happened on the ice, and the more you know sample size that you have with a player the more confident you can be in what exactly you're getting. You know, in the case of Zadina, you know, I, I think the fact that it is relatively stable, if I'm not mistaken, throughout both of those seasons does lead me to think that, you know, maybe there is something going on there where, you know, as, as skilled as I think he clearly is and as, as much potential as he obviously has, maybe something isn't quite connecting there in terms of translating that into what's going on on the ice. But you know, I, I think that it is easy and it's understandable for a fan to look at that card and have, you know, think that I'm suggesting that <laughs> Philip Zadina is going to bust and they should have drafted this guy and, and all this stuff when, when I don't think that that's really fair to say at all. Now, could part of it also be maybe a coach not leaving them on a steady line or against the same competition consistently? Because I think a lot of it too, for a model to be kind of, uh, predictive that they kind of have to be somewhat on a, on a same schedule consistently in order to get consistent data. So if Philip Zadina one night is, or a couple nights is playing on the top line and then a couple other nights he's playing on the third line, that kind of offsets your quality of competition, doesn't it? Well, it could be, it can be tricky because, you know, in, in one way it actually does kind of strengthen these models to have a more varied set of circumstances for a player. You know, if you have a player who's spending 99% of their time, you know, with these two other guys, it's going to be a lot harder for the model to figure out who exactly is kind of leading to these outcomes. Uh, in the case of Sedina, you know, if, like you said, you know, and I'm obviously going to take your, your word for it, uh, that, you know, he's getting kind of pushed around the lineup a little bit, you know, I think on, on one hand, uh, what I assume is happening is that the lines that he's getting moved on are probably performing worse when he's on them than they do when he's not on them. And 
On the other hand, I think that you can fairly say, okay, well, maybe the coach is not giving him the time to be comfortable on those lines. He's not developing the chemistry he needs to. And that's why they're not doing quite as well, which would be less of a, you know, the model is not measuring things properly. It would be more of a kind of additive interpretation that you would add on to what the model is saying that would suggest that with a maybe a bit of a longer leash, uh, with maybe a bit of a more steady role, uh, that he would be able to kind of use that natural talent that he has to translate uh, what he's got into more positive results than he is right now. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that kind of leads to the next thing, which is how much value people put in the eye test. And you can, like I said, you can look at stats all you want, but then you can look at a player and, and we had talked about it before. You're not seeing every second of that player on the ice. You're only seeing what the TV will let you see. Um, but you can clearly see, like, even you said, you can see the talent in someone like a Philip Zadina, but maybe it's, he's getting bad luck, not finishing, or he lets in a, a like, lets a bad pass by him and it's a turns over into a, a scoring opportunity for the other team. So I think um, when, and that's part of the stats thing is people want to rely really, really heavily on stats. And there is part of that eye test element that has to go into it. Sure. I I think, you know, sometimes when the, you know, the division is established between kind of stats and eye test, it does kind of suggest that the eye test is really kind of united. You know, that if you hold, you know, all the fans of one team that they would tell you the same thing about a player which I, you know, in my time as a Penguins fan have definitely found to not even remotely be the case. Uh, You know, so I think it is kind of a tricky line to walk where, you know, if you say, well, the eye test says this, you know, the answer is usually, well, you know, maybe your eye test says that, maybe your friend's eye test says that, maybe your circle on Twitter or Reddit or HF boards or or what have you is saying that. And and I think in a lot of cases, you know, that kind of stuff. And I know it did for, for me in the past can kind of lead to, you know, maybe uh, some confirmation bias with certain players where, you know, you kind of have an opinion established about a certain guy. And then every time they make an even minor mistake, you're throwing your, you know, your remote at the TV and everything like that. You know, even if they're maybe not as bad as they, as they look, uh, you know, there are, it, it might just be a, a case where you kind of have talked yourself into thinking that they're the worst player who ever strapped on a pair of skates. And, and I think that that can also go positively. You know, <laughs> I think, you know, people might be more permissive with high potential young players uh, than they might be otherwise. You know, is, is, you know, if there's a chance that maybe if, you know, uh, you just uh, gave Philip Zadina a jersey that was a a Jonathan Erickson jersey set him out there that people might not be as, as pleased about his performance. You know, I don't know. That's that's just an example that I pulled off the top of my head. But at the end of the day, there is obviously, I don't think any smart person would deny plenty of value from watching guys play and carefully watching guys play and, and figuring out what they're doing that's leading to results uh, and what might lead to better ones in the future. Uh, but I, I think you do have to be careful to differentiate between a kind of monolithic eye test and the kind of, you know, insightful analysis that that does come from a, you know, a, a, a reasoned and, and rational, you know, scouting of a player, I guess. Yeah, I think we had said at one point, and Ryan can probably attest to this, is that your analytics should back up your eye test and your eye test should somewhat back up your analytics. Yeah, it's um, complimentary. Have, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah it, well, it, it, it depends, I guess. You know, I, I think that there's definitely something to that where, 
in my analysis of players, uh, you know, those, those kind of deep dive breakdowns, you know, I don't think I have run into an instance where the gap between the eye test and the analytics was completely unexplainable. Uh, I think that you, you can always connect them. Uh, I, I do think obviously, like I said, with confirmation bias before, if you're watching a player with good analytics and you're only noticing the good things about him, uh, then you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. You know, like big Dougie Hamilton, for example, uh, you know, the, the stats say that Dougie Hamilton is one of the top scoring chance drivers in the league and that he's an above average defensive player as well. Uh, if you're watching Dougie Hamilton dead set that he's really good at defending in his own end, you're probably not getting an accurate picture of Dougie Hamilton who, you know, his defensive value comes from being a possession guy. It definitely doesn't come from what he's doing in his own zone, which is often the wrong thing. So if you're, if you're looking, you know, if you're going out looking for them to be complimentary, you might get yourself into some trouble. But I do find that usually it is the case that the analytics from the eye test are at least reconcilable, even if they don't necessarily say completely the same thing. Yeah, you can make coral, you can make certain correlations between the two. You can see why one would say the other and vice versa. Uh. Sure. And, and, and sometimes it takes work. Like sometimes it, it isn't a thing that immediately jumps out at you. You do have to kind of dig into this stuff, which is why, you know, those articles regularly go over like 2000 words because you do kind of have to make a, a strong case. If you're going to say, you know, Seth Jones, isn't an elite defenseman and everybody around you is saying that Seth Jones is an elite defenseman. It's not quite good enough to just say, well, you know, he's not, sorry. You do kind of have to show your work there. And, and oftentimes that work is, is super complicated and tricky because essentially what you're doing is going against, you know, a consensus. And if you don't have good evidence behind you, you're going to look like a lunatic uh, or at least a, a moron. Yeah, that's where the pitchforks come out. Yeah. So pe- yeah. And that is and, where and, people and get very and, angry. And justifiably so, you know, if you're, if you're just going to go out and, and say something that is completely opposed to any kind of consensus view, you're just going to like drop a, a chart and then say, okay, well, case closed, you know, you're, you're, you're justifiably going to get a lot of pushback. And if you're not willing to show the work uh, or, you know, do the actual kind of work to figure out what exactly is going on that's leading you to disagree with the consensus, you, you know, you deserve the people hopping in your mentions and getting mad at you, I think. So that, that's my perspective, at least. And that's kind of the philosophy that will generally guide me to, you know, do these kind of long form player pieces or do longer threads about controversial players. Because, you know, otherwise, I do think that, you know, a lot of analytics people, I think, justifiably do get a little bit of a rep for, you know, arrogance or, or things like that, because uh, they're not really doing the work to support the stats that they're putting out, uh, even though they're not necessarily kind of the be all end all perfect assessment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then there are the people that kind of try and completely blow off the analytics. Well, not completely, but heavy handedly, like a Pierre Maguire, who has been quoted saying things like, uh, there has to be boots on the ground and hardcore hockey people that can evaluate players without using numbers to decide if they pass the eye test. And I think that 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 is going out of hockey as much as possible as you see teams bring on more analytics people and bring on more people that are focused like that. But does that hardcore of a stance seem to hurt teams? Well, I think we obviously do see cases where teams make obviously bad decisions that are obviously bad at the time and that stats people 
say, hey, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> and they turn out to be, you know, either eventually vindicated or immediately vindicated. Uh, you know, like Jack Johnson with the Penguins is an obvious example where, uh, you know, analytics people were saying, hey, this is a terrible idea. This guy stinks. And even if he's only playing on your third pair, he's going to make the team a lot worse and, and maybe cost them uh, significantly. And now he's uh, with the abs. Well, say, didn't well, someone just know, sign him? Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and, and ironically it was the avalanche, which is, yep. a, which is a whole other, uh, <laughs> other thing there, but you know, so, so ultimately, you know, yeah, the beat reporters are saying, Oh, well, the, so the nerds say this, but Stanley cup winning general manager, Jim Rutherford and, you know, Stanley cup winning coach, Mike Sullivan and all that. And then, you know, two years later, he's getting bought out. So, yep. you know, ultimately, uh, I, I don't think that there's any problem with having, you know, scouts who don't know RAPM or, or, or anything like that, you know, who, who aren't using wins above replacement. I, I just think that, you know, when you have that kind of view that it's something that should be pushed back against, you know, that it's, oh, that it's yeah. hurting the game or that, you know, like I, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that you need to have scouts watching players, uh, you know, and, and, you do, definitely and, do. And, and, and maybe even scouts who don't understand anything about analytics. I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with that. Uh, the question just comes down to making sure that you have voices in the room who can connect the dots. Because if you just have, mm -hmm. you know, a 70 year old scout who played the game 50 years ago, and then you have, you know, some computer whiz uh, who's 21 years old, who doesn't know anything about hockey, you know, they're going to talk past each other. The GM is going to defer to the old guy, and then you might end up making a mistake. Uh, and, and the same thing might happen the other way where, you know, maybe the, the younger guy is, is also not really understanding, you know, he's seeing the numbers for a player, but maybe they're not, you know, projectable skills. Maybe the player isn't a fit for the system, et cetera, et cetera. And, and maybe the more knowledgeable, you know, X's and O's guys might've been able to catch that. So I do really think it is kind of a matter of being able to bring stats and traditional scouting uh, into harmony to, to make sure that you're targeting the right guys because you know, when you target the wrong guys, you know, it's a cap league that that'll cost you pretty significantly. And uh, we saw some cases of teams this summer that I think made gambles that weren't a really good idea. And that if they do go south, as it, it kind of seems like they will probably go, then then they might be setting themselves up for some big trouble moving forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I think overall, as a league, they are investing and that's that I think is even evident with the player tracking and the puck tracking and stuff that the league as a whole is going to invest more in analytics and making as much data available to the teams as humanly possible. So they can, so they can make better decisions in the long run. Well, look yeah. at some of the more talked about teams too of late, like Bill Zito, what he did in Columbus initially getting their boots on the ground in terms of getting the analytics movement started there. We already knew that Dubas was doing that up in Toronto. I think that was really what kind of, grab the bull by the horns and then who, who was it that was ousted in uh arizona what's his name uh, yeah he was a big proponent of it but bill zito i think is maybe the most prominent name that i like to see as of late because we saw what he was doing as the agm in columbus and now he took that down to florida and kind of that point of what can they do with it i mean you think uh, to me, I think his whole team is almost built that way is off the analytics piece, because I know how much they were pushing that. I think he was more of the proponent of it than Yarmo was, but teams are starting to take it over whether they like it or not. And I think every single team now has some sort of person or a couple of people on a team now, don't they? Isn't there like one or two teams that doesn't have an actual analytics team? 
I think there was yeah, one like and that. they picked one up. I mean, at the end of the day, owners don't like losing millions of dollars. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if you can for 50 grand a year or whatever, bring in somebody who might prevent you from losing millions of dollars. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty unavoidable investment. And, and it's, it's kind of surprising to me that you don't see more investments in it because, you know, I, again, I, I figure that if the data is out there, you know, these are all kind of business people. It's not exactly, you know, you don't really get an eye test going probably in the companies that they own. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, in hockey, you still get kind of a prominent perspective of people who are, you know, just rejecting that kind of statistical analysis completely out of hand. Yeah, I just don't think that there's a, a really long shelf life for it because so many GMs have made so many hugely costly mistakes that they would have otherwise avoided uh, if they had, you know, done their due diligence on the stats. Uh, I, I do think kind of the next the next level thing is going to be how teams use the stats. You know, now that these teams actually do have, you know, decent analytics departments, they do have, you know, contracts with companies that provide them with more detailed stats. Uh, you know, if the NHL does, you know, inter- integrate the puck tracking and player tracking properly, then they'll have that as well. You know, the one thing that I have found in the time that I've been using uh, more and more kind of these what are called micro stats, which are essentially kind of more detailed stats than the NHL makes public. Uh, so that's stuff like, uh, you know, zone entries, zone entry denials, passes, completed passes, peaks, like stuff like that. Uh, something that I didn't have access to in the past, and and I now do from from the past season, uh, thanks to a, a partnership that my the company I write for has. Um, the thing that you very quickly learn from working with that kind of data is that you can essentially make any player look good. Like you can cherry you pick cherry, if you cherry pick the stats enough, you can find something that every player does well, which isn't surprising because I mean they're playing the NHL, right? And and the coach is playing them, so presumably there must be something. So you could have, you know, Jonathan Erickson, for example, let's take, you know, Jonathan Erickson in his final season in the league, you know, analytics are brutal. Maybe the eye test is, is, is brutal as well. I'm sure that there is a stat that they could have dug up where his, you know, net front battles per 60 was super high or his, you know, oh uh, corner pass <laughs> blocks per 60 was, was super high or something like that. So if you have a GM who has access to these kinds of stats uh, and they have, you know, a, a pro scouting team that's telling them, oh, I love, you know, what this player does physically in the corners and stuff. And they pull up the stats and maybe, you know, 90% of them are glowing red, but they see that board battles number and they think, oh, I would like to win more board battles this season. Uh, then, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's confirmation bias, right? All this stuff is really about removing confirmation bias as much as possible. But if you have unlimited data available to you, that's just kind of unlimited opportunities to cherry pick. And I think that that's kind of what these teams, the next step for them will be kind of navigating how to actually use that data productively and not just kind of let it feed into their worst impulses. Yeah. It's kind of how you focus, how you hyper-focus on someone like a Luke Glendening, where the only thing they will repeat game after game is look at his face-off wins. Right. It's like, but then look at everything else and it's just everything else. Like you said, is, is dark, dark red, but face off wins is a nice shiny blue. So we need that him back to win hand sh- shooting percentage though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Well, there you go. So if, if, you know, the Dallas stars are looking at their data and they see backhand shooting percentage and face offs <laughs> and, you know, you know, I'm sure that there's some other stuff that, that Glenn Denning would, would look pretty good in, you know, amid all of the offensive stuff that he obviously doesn't. 
Grit per uh, 60. Grit per 60. Go. Grit per 60 is, is high. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that is, is definitely kind of going to be the next challenge. Yeah, uh, but it's all about using all the tools available in the toolbox. And then, like you said, using them correctly to to come up with the best possible team. And, and the faster I think that teams catch on. And the Red Wings seem to have caught on. Uh, Jeff Flashel even said that he's oh, excited for the puck and player tracking to get them more information uh, as soon as it's up and working. I guess they don't have the pucks, the new pucks yet. He hasn't seen them because the the original pucks, they felt way, way different. So they had to get new ones. But he he's excited for it. And I think a lot of teams are excited for it because the, the more they can, I guess, make micro decisions, um, the, the better quality of a game will kind of have. Yeah. And so as they have more and more of this data, I feel like the job of these analytics departments will basically be figuring out how to hold the process, all of it and, and communicate it to the coaching staffs, because otherwise, you know, these are guys who in a lot of cases, you know, didn't even finish high school, maybe, you know, they're not exactly going to be, you know, doing coding or anything like that. So if you can have people who can take those, these numbers as they come in and translate them into something that's actually useful, then then that's the most important thing. I think. Tell me a story. That's what I always have been told when it comes to analytics. How can you tell me a story? What's this going to do for me? And that's how the, how they, they're going to use this stuff. Yep. Yep. I think that's exactly right. Do you have any parting words for people on how they can get started with stats? Easy way for them to just jump in and start learning a little bit without getting super overwhelmed. And then where can they find your work online? Well, I guess it would be a little tacky for me to say that the the answer is to (laughs) follow me on Twitter and all that stuff. (laughs) No, Uh, that's that's perfect. Absolutely. I I, I think that you can kind of ease your way into it a bit. You know, I think that there are there are good articles uh, that have been written, especially in places like The Athletic. Uh, where those kinds of numbers are broken down, I think, in layman's terms very well. They're just kind of tutorial series. Yeah, Dom Uh, does a good job at it. Dom does a good job. Uh, Charlie O'Connor, who's a writer there, he did a great rundown a couple years back, which is still, uh, I I think, covers everything quite well. Um, And then, you know, I I think that there are some very, very simple stats that you can familiarize yourself with that even if they're not as as fancy as some of the ones that, that I talked about before, I think they will make you... A, a, a smarter hockey fan. I, I think they certainly did for me, uh, which is just kind of understanding percentage luck and how it works and how it influences outcomes in hockey. Uh, and, and those stats are available to you where, you know, it, as soon as you kind of recognize that every outcome in hockey isn't, you know, a, a, you know, completely a measure of the quality of a team or the quality of a player, you know, that, that at the end of the day, this is a three inch piece of frozen rubber flying around a rink at a hundred miles an hour. And, and sometimes crazy stuff happens, yep. uh, you know, and, and there's plenty of evidence that, you know, luck can happen and have a big impact in a sample from anywhere to one game to, you know, even an 82 game series, you know, teams can legitimately get lucky for a really long amount of time that that isn't going to continue. And, and that goes for players as well. So if you look at kind of stats, like, you know, a team shooting percentage, a team save percentage, I think that it does kind of give you an understanding of, you know, is this team maybe as bad as they seem right now, uh, or are maybe they just legitimately not getting the bounces. I think as soon as you recognize that that's not just a lame coach excuse and, and an actual thing that takes place, uh, that really helps. And, and that goes for players as well. You know, take Mika's advantage ad, for example, you know, in 2019, 20, he shoots 19.7%. 
Uh, the two seasons before that, he shot 12.7%. Uh, this past season, he shot 14%. You know, if you were just kind of going off of his hockey DB page and looking at his point totals, he was on pace for like 110 points last season. And then, well, sorry, but in, in 1920, you know, last year, I think he went pretty much back to normal. And, you know, if you had looked at his shooting percentage, you would have pretty easily recognized, okay, he's going to fall back to earth. Like this is not sustainable. Weird things uh, happen. Exactly. And so if you go to, uh, you know, on ice shooting percentage, which is a little tougher to find, but you can find it on uh, naturalstattrick.com, for example. Uh, you know, that is the shooting percentage of a team when a certain player is on the ice. So, you know, if, if Dylan Larkin has a 10% on a shooting percentage, that means that the Red Wings shoot 10% when uh, Dylan Larkin is on the ice. And that, those kind of numbers can have a huge impact on a, not only a player's goals, but also a player's assists, you know, their points. And if you see a player who's maybe really, really slumping, they're not scoring as many points as, as they usually do, or maybe they're going completely ballistic and scoring a crazy number of points. A lot of the time, if you look at their on-ice percentages, you actually do get some indication. You know, like a guy like Kasper Kapanen, uh, who scored at a crazy high rate, got assists at a crazy high rate last season. You look at his on-ice shooting percentage, and it was something like 13%. You know, usually, you know, almost never does that kind of thing sustain from one year to another. And I think Penguins fans, a lot of them might be real disappointed with Kapanen in this season and through no fault of his own. He might play exactly the same as he did last year. It's just those pucks won't go into the net as much as they did last year uh, through no fault of his own. So Yeah, I, I feel like we could have that same uh, situation once Verona comes back from injury. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, in, in, in the same way, like the Red Wings in 2019, or sorry, in, in 1920, I think we're a good example. Uh, of a team where, you know, none of their pucks were going into the net. Yep. You know, their goalies couldn't make a save. Obviously, uh, Jimmy Howard was the, the biggest example of that. So, you know, the team was was bad, but like they were like, you know, normal bad. Like they were like, you know, 31st in the league bad as opposed to like historically awfully, like unwatchably, miserably terrible. Yeah. terrible. And the reason for that is that their goalies couldn't make a save and no pucks were going into the net for them. And I think last season you saw they were still bad, but they weren't, you know, like a, like a WHA team. Yeah. So I, I think that that's kind of a good instance of where you can apply that to a team. Yeah. Where luck, luck factors that you can be bad and lucky, or you can be just bad, bad, or you can be kind of bad and also extremely unlucky. Yeah. So, so like, yeah. I, you know, like one last quick example is like the flyers uh, this coming season. Last year, the Flyers had the league's worst goaltending. Uh, both of their goalies were terrible. Carter Hart was one of the worst in the league. Brian Elliott was one of the worst in the league. You know, everything from history would suggest that the Flyers are going to get something a lot closer to league average goaltending this year, uh, which completely changes, you know, how you might expect their season to go. And, and I think a lot of people haven't really factored that in. And I think they're expecting the Flyers to be a lot closer to the bottom of the league than where I think they're likely to actually end up. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, but where can people find you and your work online? So, uh, like I said, you can follow me at jfreshhockey on Twitter. Uh, with the season amping up, I'll be uh, putting out quite a bit of stuff for that. Uh, you can find 
the visualizations that were talked about here, full access to them is available for subscribers on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash jfreshhockey. And in terms of uh, longer form writing, you can find that on uh, my Substack, jfresh.substack.com uh, or on Elite Prospects, where I am the uh, lead analytics contributor for that website. So I, I have a, a lot of hustles going on. <laughs> check out one of them, check out two of them. Check out all check of them. them. All out. Yeah. There you go. Uh, the Patreon I'm in your is player cards way too much. <laughs> yeah, the Patreon is 100% worth it um, just yeah. for the easy breakdown and visualization everything. But Jack, we want to thank you for coming on tonight and taking the time to talk uh, analytics with us. Uh, we appreciate it. We hope to have you on again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So once again, we'd like to thank Jack for coming on and just trying to make stats a little bit easier for our audience to understand and give some resources on where they could go. Super, super knowledgeable, uh, really good interview. Uh, again, we'd like to thank him for coming on. So we're going to talk a little bit about the roster cuts that happened today. The Red Wings do have a 23-man roster now set. Uh, there's a little bit of intrigue there, maybe a little bit of disappointment. I'm not sure it's as big a deal as people are making it out to be, and it honestly could change before Thursday's game. But I need to do yeah. a quick DraftKings promo spot before we move into that. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So gentlemen, we have our 23-man roster, which is as follows. Four da -da 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 -da. Tyler Bertuzzi, Adam Ernie, Robbie Fabry, Sam Gagne, Dylan Larkin, Vadislav Nemestikov, Michael Rasmussen, Lucas Raymond, Carter Rowney, Giovanni Smith, Mitchell Stevens, Pia Suter, and Philip Zadina. Your defensemen are Danny DeKaiser, Philip Horonic, Nick Letty, Gustav Lindstrom, Joden Orsterly, jo Jordan? Joden? No. Jordan. Jordan. O Osterly. Jordan Osterly. Thank you. I can say it. My mouth didn't want to. Moritz so Sider, Mark Stahl, Troy Stetcher, and your goaltenders are Thomas Grice and Alex Nedeljkovic. The main omission from the list was that Joe Valeno was sent to Grand Rapids today, but the surprises, and maybe not so much a surprise to us as it was to Ansar Khan, but Lucas Raymond made the opening night roster and it is extremely exciting. I am very yes. excited. Like Ryan's full mass right now. His desk is tipping over. Yep, it's true. It's like... Uh... The scene from Anchorman where he's just like, "Wow!" <laughs> I, I, won't to, I won't continue to say it, but it's, it's uh, you get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it's how can you not be fucking excited? We have a, we have a rookie, two two stud rookies, two D plus making, one rookies 
the opening night roster. Nah, Raymond's a D plus two, but D plus Raymond's a D plus one. Cider's a no, D plus, plus two. One. Cider's a yeah. plus two. But still, when's the last time the Detroit Red Wings had this scenario? Hmm. This is really something Two I should have prepared myself for. rookies making it at the for, same time? But I just thought of this question. It's something I should have thought about beforehand because that would have been a great did you know stat, but I don't have it ready. So I'm just curious if you guys know. I, I don't I'll, know the last time. I'll happened. say one thing. I do remember there was one year where I went. This was after the playoff streak had ended, I believe. I think it was a year after. And Detroit had a bunch of injuries. So they had guys like, I want to say Ryan Sproul made the team out of camp. Xavier Ouellette. And Xavier Ouellette. And there was another guy that I don't remember his name for the life of me. Um, but he was a defenseman and he ended up going back over to Czech Republic or wherever the hell he was. But anyways, he was a rookie. I think they had three rookies in the lineup and they were making their NHL debut at the same time. I, I mean, recent memory, I can't think of any time in Red Wings history where two like stud prospects made the lineup on opening night at the same time and are both cons- going to be considered for probably the Calder race. So it's, it's a really, really exciting time. And, and it even goes a little bit further to where it looks like Lucas Raymond's going to be on the top line with Larkin and Bertuzzi, which I guess I could have just looked back two years and found out that five Red Wings rookies made their NHL debuts on opening night. And what players were those <laughs> against, against Columbus? Well, we said like good, like star rookies. True. But I, I mean, I guess, I guess I left a little more, t- a little too broad because we had Radmussen. A little, a little open. Rasmussen and N, along with Chalowski, Hironik, and Sulak, all made their NHL Sulak. debuts in the Wings home opener against Libor. the Columbus Blue Jackets. But yeah, it's it's the first time in a long time where we've had two blue chip rookies, Calder race rookies, in the lineup on opening night, and we'll be there, which is going to be really fucking awesome. Do you know how loud that place is going to get so loud. when they announce those two guys? It's so loud. Um, Who's going to get a louder ovation? Uh, between Probably Raymond and Cider, let's say they Sider. both get equal. No. Yeah. I, whoever's, uh, I don't know. I, no, I'm I thinking think Cider, good. yeah, Sider, only because definitely. he's got the extra year. Maybe yeah, plus, Raymond isn't going to be as much on the radar. Cider maybe yep. has more the name recognition. In yeah. Plus, he's played in Grand Rapids already, and and he's been, you know, he's just been around. I think I'm excited, especially since he's going to start on the top line with uh, Larkin and Bertuzzi, because I think that gives him the chance for offense right off the bat. And you saw the chemistry that he had with Dylan Larkin in the preseason. They really do feed off of each other very, very well. Uh, They seem to know where each other are on the ice at all times. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were working in practice on no look passes, which is really exciting. My only worry is that is Bertuzzi because of the rust, which was evident in preseason going to drag that line down. I feel like he got better as that game went on his first game back, I should say, but that's, that makes me nervous. Cause I mean, we were talking about this last week and is, how much is the injury still affecting him? Is the injury still affecting him? Is all this time off? We, we already knew that that was going to be an issue, the time off, but how long is it going to take him to get up to game speed? And based on what we saw last year, when guys had, you know, no training camp, minimal, no, no preseason, they just jumped right in. It took time. And if this thing's affecting him, it's going to take time. And that to me is kind of scary. But to that point, you got to think that Blash and the crew 
are going to be thinking about that already. And if anything, if there's anything that's showing as a detriment to what they're doing on that line, or if he's not up to snuff, you, you got to think that they're going to bump him down, move Zadina up, and then kind of shuffle the remaining pairs, right? Ideally? You would think um, that would be my first move, would be to bump Bertuzzi down to the second line, lighten his minutes a little bit, and see if mm. his production increases with a little mm. lighter of a workload. So maybe he's not so overworked. And to Zadina's credit, I think Zadina also looked really good with Larkin and Raymond. Granted, the goals weren't going in, and we had talked about nope. his yeah. his shooting. Mm-hmm. But I think honestly, think Zadina, there. yeah, Zadina earned I think top line over Bertuzzi. But Blashell's going to give it to Bertuzzi because Bertuzzi and Larkin were good together. Their default, yeah, yeah. Last not so much last season because Bertuzzi two years was ago, like nine years, like two seasons ago. I don't know why coaches do that. I really don't understand that. It feels like it's an older thing and coaches just continue to do it these days as well. It's like, you know, oh, a guy played good with with him two years ago when he was healthy. So that's definitely what we got to do instead of just putting the better player there. Like Zach Hyman played with Austin Matthews for a long time just because they had chemistry one year and all of a sudden, you know, he had to play with Matthews. It was just like, it's just like, I don't understand the philosophy. Why not just put the best players with the best players? Well, didn't Suter, Fabry and Bertuzzi have chemistry in Guelph. So can't we just put them together on the second line? You know what? I mean, I'm not saying that that's a bad idea, but I mean, Zadina is a better fit on that line than, Bertuzzi, don't you think? I mean, you got two snipers and you got a guy that can pass the puck to both sides of the ice on his backhand and on his forehand. I think what they're looking for on that top line is a setup, a sniper, and a net front. So you get Bertuzzi. You've got all aspects of those guys out there. Yeah, Yeah. and you get Bertuzzi, who's more likely to go battle in a corner for a puck. I mean, I mean, the way you look at it too, Larkin and Bertuzzi together have a fifty-two percent Corsi. Yeah, so that's not super high. But, but it's over when 15. they're on the ice, they're outscoring opponents by 13 goals since the 1819 season. Well, remember how good that line was two years ago with Bertuzzi with Mantha. Mantha and Larkin? Yeah, yeah we I mean, that got our jollies fantastic. off talking about those guys until they all got hurt and then we cried. Yeah, but again, that's the thing that's a healthy Bertuzzi. Yeah, uh, yes. that is a fully functional Bertuzzi. That's a game shaped Bertuzzi, which in the preseason did not look like it. And he had to be given games off because he worked a little too hard. That's why he didn't play game uh, preseason games until the last couple, because he <laughs> flared up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, another, so, another thing to natural statric, that's where I got that first point. 92, three on ice say percentage when they're on the ice together. That's really Off, good. Offensive zone face off percentage is 52, six. So they're, they're playing better defense. That speaks to they're the two way play of Larkin. That's those two guys together. That's why that's still a thing. And we know, like Tyler, what you said, when the, when he added Mantha to that group, they were an unstoppable force. I think that Raymond can do that and probably then some. I mean, it's going to take him probably a bit, but hey, I'll take it. I just wanted to touch on Raymond making the team. I mean, it just speaks to the philosophy of the organization changing. It's not the tie goes to the veteran, although I will kind of speak on one other thing while we're we're talking about this. They did make a good decision by putting uh, Raymond on the team over a guy like Bobby Ryan, which I liked Bobby Ryan. Um, I don't think that was the decision. What do you think the decision was? You kept Carter Rowney. 
Why Which couldn't I you hate, wave by Carter Rowney and put Bobby Ryan in? I absolutely can't stand that decision. That's what I was just about to say. Carter Rowney. I mean, what did he do during the preseason that warranted him making the team? Oh, great. It probably great. fits the role. I, I, I mean, if we're, is that Valeno than, than Carter sure. Rowney? He, but you're not playing Valeno as a fourth-line grinder. No. no, but you could play him as a third-line grinder sure. and bump Gagne down to the is, fourth line. Was that the next next subject there, Greg, was that Bobby Ryan was not on? Yeah, so Bobby so, Ryan was released from his PTO, which – I and I immediately tweeted. I hate the narrative that it was Bobby Ryan or Lucas Raymond because that's not the decision. You could have waived someone like Carter Rowney and moved Gagne down to the fourth line, and then your third line would have been Ernie Rasmussen and Ryan. I could have maybe understood it if Valeno wasn't sent to Grand Rapids. Now that could just be, uh, like I said, that could be a paper transaction. They could make another move before Thursday to put Valeno back in the lineup. But as it stands right now, your top line's Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond. Your second line is Fabry, Suter, Zadina. Your third line is Ernie, Rasmussen, Gagne. And your fourth line is going to be Rowney, Stevens, and then either Giovanni Smith or Nemesikov. And the other one's going to be the extra. So uh, Bobby Ryan makes it over Carter Rowney. Bobby Ryan showed more in the preseason than Sam Gagne. And I don't know if it's an injury decision because they're like, well, Gagne played a ton of games, didn't really miss any time and had a hat trick and provided some offense, but nothing spectacular uh, as opposed to a Bobby Ryan who clearly has a much higher offensive upside than Sam Gagne, but had an injury issue and was out a lot of the season last season. Are they worried that that's going to flare back up? Now, Iserman did put out a statement basically saying that we'll evaluate whether there is a spot for Bobby in the lineup towards the beginning of 2021, 22, something to that effect. So it kind of leaves the door open a little bit for maybe moving some stuff around and signing Bobby Ryan that maybe wasn't presented today, but it's not a Ryan versus Raymond thing. And there was an article written and was it Max that wrote it or, or thing with uh, Bobby Ryan talking about like his little mentor moment with Lucas Raymond on the bench. Yeah, that was Max's article last week. And, and I don't think that the way to frame it was Ryan versus Raymond. I think Max even said that there's other moves that could be made, but that's the immediate thing people went to is like, Oh, well, I understand Bobby Ryan being cut because I'd rather have Lucas Raymond and you it's the Ortega girl. Why not both? You could do both right. by making a, one other additional move, like a waving a Carter Rowney, which no one's going to pick up, or um, even to the point of Giovanni Smith had a really bad preseason. You could mm-hmm. wave a Giovanni Smith. Nemesikov had a goal, didn't look super involved. You could wave a Nemesikov. Yeah, I, I don't think, think Giovanni Smith was getting picked up. I think your easiest no. move, though, would have been to wave a Carter Rowney. He would want to even Grand if Rapids, Rowney no gets problem. picked up. Who gives a rat's ass? It's exactly. Carter Rowney. I mean, there's there's a million other people you could have put in that spot, and I just don't like the fact that Carter Rowney stays on this team. And Joe Valeno, who has absolutely nothing to give to the American Hockey League, is now starting the season in the American Hockey League. I don't like it. I just yeah. I, maybe I sound old, maybe I sound um, different. But I just don't like it. I don't think there's anything more for him to give to the AHL. I, my, I don't. My only point on it is that I would, as a personal decision and a developmental choice, would rather have Joe Valeno play 
18 minutes on the top line with Berggren and whoever else in Grand Rapids, then eight minutes a night on a fourth line in Detroit. But I think you could find him 10 to 11 minutes a night on a third line. I don't think that's hard by moving someone like Gagne down. Who knows? He's in a vet role now and is expecting to play on the third or fourth line, or even at this point be an extra. Or what if Suter's go game goes to shit? Then uh, you bring that, up a Valeno. Sure, that I wouldn't worry about so much, but what if Rasmussen starts struggling at center and you want to move him to wing? So there's there's stuff there where I understand to a point the release of Bobby Ryan, but I don't understand a lot of people's rationale for it because that's not the rationale I would have come to. And I love Bob, like Bobby Ryan, class act dude, invaluable, I think, to the team in, in what he brought from a mentorship and an experience in a, a leadership kind of role. And, and I would love to have him back as like a, a developmental guy. If, if he decided to, he's not going to retire because he clearly has game left. But when he retires, I'd love to have him back as a developmental guy, as a teacher, um, as, as a coach or whatever, because he brings that he brings that experience. He's seen everything, been through a lot. And and I think he he has wisdom he can impart on the younger generation of guys on the team. That's super, super valuable. Um, I just don't agree with the decision to cut him over someone like Rowney. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing that I say about this whole situation and it, it's just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, um, but you know what? It is what it is. It is what it is. And, you know, injuries happen and Valeno could be here before the season starts. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, a fluid situation and you just kind of never know. So, I mean, I guess that's where we'll leave it. So I think the other thing that we kind of uh, want to look at, of course, Moritz Sider, I don't think there was any other choice other than to put him on the roster. He is super ready. He looked good all preseason solid besides Minus getting walked by Patrick about. line where, oh, and you're going to talk about it. The entire hockey Twitter just blew up saying, Oh, well, I guess cider now is a bust because he got walked by one of the top forwards is top scoring forwards in the league. I think he could have walked any defenseman in that situation. And that's where cider will learn, play the body, not the puck. And we'll end up knocking people on their ass and, he was a little timid in that situation. Granted, Letty kind of left him out to dry a little bit, but that was on PK. That was, was a, yeah, I think Heronic had uh, kind of, he, I think he pushed up on that one. Someone had it was a around slightly the red line blown and assignment. Yeah, yeah. Someone had a slightly blown assignment and cider will learn from this. That's it's his first year in the league. Oh my God. He'll learn Go and he'll develop. And yep. his play will get better. It's already really good. It will and get better. And you want these things to happen already, because like you mentioned with Luddy and that player in particular, that's going to, for one, open up the communication. Yep. It's going to get these guys talking more because they're going to see that something's going to happen. They'll be like, what the fuck just happened? And then they'll go back, talk to it. They'll pull out the iPads on the bench there. They'll talk through it right then and there. But then Learn what it they're going to do. That don't matter. Exactly. It's, it's in a preseason game. But what the coaches can do now is say like, hey, Here's where you fucked up. Yep. I mean, you can look at that replay all day when Liney goes in on him. He's looking right at the puck. He's his whole, his, all of his body and weight and momentum were going right toward that win. And Liney was like, whoop, yeah. and he's gone. 
Let me yep. ask you this. What do they teach you when you're a kid playing defense? I would play the body, would not play the defense. puck. Well, uh, yeah. let me, let me tell you exactly the body, not the puck. Watch the logo in, in the middle of the chest, wherever the logo goes is where the player's going to go. You watch his kind of like basketball. You watch the waist fake, you watch his stick, you know, he can dangle or whatever. So you watch the chest, you kind of watch him. And I mean, Cider's going to learn that, you know, in the national hockey league, there's a lot of skilled players. This isn't the SHL. This isn't the AHL. This is the national hockey league. And there's, there's, best players in the world and he's going to learn he's a young player he's a rookie in the league and i have people these fucking bruins fans sending me shit like oh more cider your number one prospect is a fucking bum he gets dangled i'm just like you know what in a couple months when he's up for the uh norris trophy or in a couple of years when he's up for the norris trophy i'm gonna take that highlight and shove it up your ass <laughs> So um, there you go. So, but to me, that wasn't really much of a big deal. I mean, yeah, he got dangled, but I mean, Nicholas Lidstrom got dangled. I mean, it happens. It's part of the game and it's a learning experience for him. So I don't read much into that at all. Look at this car. Wow. Mo Cider just got wow. today. Holy shit. Is that on what? Instagram? Uh, yeah, that's on Instagram. Uh, uh, Twitter. Griffin's Nest posted. They said, Oh Cider my makes God. the Red Wings and on the same day acquired this drippy whip. It is a beautiful Audi, like blackout Audi. That's uh, a matte paint job. It is a really, really, really pretty. Wow. Um, but yeah, Cider, Cider will learn. He will develop. He will grow. That is the point. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I'm excited for the lineup. It's, again, the most excited we've been in quite a while. And I think I'm going to stick with my prediction of 80 points on the season that's close I mean, to 500 I think that's fair I, I think that's where we're all at right now I mean you look at like Jay Fresh for instance I think he had Detroit Sands Verona uh at a, like 71 points which and that's evolving hockey had them even less and I don't even know what their actual player or the roster makeup was for that so it's uh yeah those anyone that did them before the rosters were set are going to have to completely redo them yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think when me and Ryan talked about predictions, Tyler was fucking off somewhere. So Tyler's going to give us his prediction. I was not fucking off. Okay. No, you, you ignored us. <laughs> You're cool. pretty much fucking off. So my prediction is going to be very similar to Greg's. I just think that this team has a lot more to give than they have in the last couple of years. Um, talking to a couple friends of mine and other people that are kind of connected with the game. It, it just seems like, you know, the last couple of years, Detroit, eh, you know, they're in the middle of a rebuild and yeah, the rebuild's still going on, but we talked about this off air. It's um, I hate to use the light at the end of the tunnel analogy. I use that quite often as you guys know, but they, there is a light at the end of the tunnel you're starting to see these prospects make the team. I know Valeno didn't make it, but you know, you have the more ciders and the Lucas Raymond's to, you know, paired with the Larkins and, and Bertuzzi's. So, I mean, the blow is Jacob Verano. That's tough that he's, you know, going to be on the shelf for a while, but my prediction is about 84 points. I want to say they'd missed the playoffs by what, eight points, nine points, something like that. Um, I think they're on the bubble, but they just don't make it. That's my prediction. So Tyler has them as a bubble team. Yeah. I don't think we quite had them as a bubble team. I don't think we had them bottom five. Like a lot of people have them. They have them bottom five, but I going to come down to being healthy. Yeah, yeah. I would, I like an eight to 10 finish bottom eight to 10. 
So I, I think it'll be really, really good. It'll be a good development season for the new guys to learn and build some chemistry and then go into next season super hot. It'll be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's all the time we have for tonight. Uh, that's kind of our season outlook with kind of what was announced today. And I want to get your guys' final thoughts before we sign off. And we'll start with Tyler. So, yeah, my final thoughts are, you know, we're looking forward to the home opener. I'm I'm going to be flying out on uh, Wednesday morning and I'll be in Michigan uh, early Wednesday. So uh, Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying at your house if you don't know when I'm coming. No, I, I, I'm just messing. But just yeah, put no. Clothes on Ryan. We'll I'm Michigan. just making sure because I thought it was Thursday. <laughs> we'll be in Michigan Wednesday, and uh, we're looking forward to getting back to Little Caesars Arena and, and seeing all you guys out there. And uh, you know, it's hockey season, man. You know, tomorrow uh, when you turn on your TV about seven o'clock at night, the NHL on ESPN is going to be back. You're going to hear the music and. Uh, I believe it's Sean McDonough who did the Michigan game is going to be doing. Uh, They've got back-to-back games going on. Game. Yeah, Bucci's doing the second Bucci's game. doing the night doing the nightcap. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting, but definitely excited. Hockey's back. You know, this is a really good time of the year for sports. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter at SealDog91. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. Thanks for the reminder that you're coming on Wednesday, oh. not Thursday. What do you got to say, <laughs> Tyler? And thanks for coming on uh, to Jay Fresh. No, glad you reminded me there, Tyler, because I thought it was Thursday that you flew in for some reason. So Wait, did I, I sent it to you, didn't I? I don't know. You might have. It sent it a while ago. I swear it was Thursday. But anyways, it's a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm excited. It's uh, we finally get hockey in person. I get it. I went to a preseason game. It's not quite the same. I'm looking forward to finally getting actually to see people that we know, watch some hockey, have some beers and eat some food and hug and, our hockey Twitter friends. Yeah. See, we get to see Helmeroids. We get to see Jen and just have a lot of fun. We get to see Tyler doing whatever he's doing right now to his computer screen in person. I think that there's a big play happening. In he's the Red play, Sox he's game. praying to Red Sox. Is Jesus. he praying or is he really? <laughs> I think, he, nope. He actually just died inside. It's just fun. And there's a lot going on. We've got a lot of momentum going in the discord. That's really picking up steam and getting to a lot of fun. We we need to get over a hundred people though. And then I think for outside of that, huh? We're close. Yeah, we are close. Uh, but outside of that, it's just, it's, it's a normal season and it feels that way. And it's fantastic. So other than that already Ryan 33. Yeah. I'm just going to say go wings. I'm I can't be more excited than that. Really. There's a lot, I mean, storylines upon storylines, which talked to Daniela about that are coming out of this season, especially now with Raymond making the roster to be able to get to see two of the most important Red Wings rookies and probably the last 10, 15 years make their debut is super exciting. And I'm really don't even care how the season goes. I just want to see how they develop. So Those are my final thoughts. I believe we have settled on Harry's. So if you are coming down to the game on Thursday, we will be at Harry's beforehand. They're right outside of Little Caesars Arena. And uh, come check us out. Come get some swag. Meet us. We will be there. Um, But that's going to do it for us tonight. We'd like to give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at, at Hockey Podnet on Twitter. And you can search hashtag THPN. You can find all the podcasts there. Uh, we like to thank them for hosting us and carrying us and putting us on a bunch of different platforms. 
Blake, give a shout out to Howie's Hockey Tape, where if you use the promo code GRINDLINE, you get 10% off your order. If you use that same promo code on Bring Hockey Back, you get 12% off your order. Uh, I will be putting up the final round of the beer bracket, which I believe is Founders against Bells. Is it a rematch? That's a rematch that will be going up uh, in the next couple days. So get prepared for that. Like Ryan said, join our Discord. You can find the link in our bio. And once again, thanks to Jay Fresh for coming on and talking analytics. But that's going to do it for us tonight. So for Ryan and Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.